Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. How's everyone? Y'all doing well? Good to see each and every one of you. So happy you're here today. We're digging into some more, more conversation about family life. We all have family. We're all part of the family of God in this place. And uh, whether you're uh, single today, married today, have kids today, I pray that the Lord will really speak to you in, in a unique way through His Word. I, I, you know, the book of the, of the Lord says that His Word never returns void. I think that's true. I pray that's true for you today. Uh, specifically, we're really going to dig in heavy on what it looks like to, to have a godly marriage uh, but I, I recognize that I've got a, a variety of people in the room. So I'm praying for you today. I've been praying for you this morning that you wouldn't check out on me, that uh, the book of Ephesians has something to say, I think, for each and every one of us, no matter what position we find ourselves in life. In fact, singles in the room, and I know there's a handful of you in here, that uh, you might be thinking, well, I don't know how this is going to apply to me. Well, I would say maybe this is one you could take more notes on than you might expect. Because for one, if you're not yet dating someone or you're, you're just starting to date someone, uh, it can be a, a careful task to make sure you're not falling for someone who's an absolute pain in the butt. So, um, and some of you have done that. I mean, I would say almost every one of us in the room, if we've lived for very long at all, have dated some people. We knew at the end of the day, we should have never done. We should, that was not a person I belonged with. Most of us have done that. And so this is an aside, but I wanted to offer you something today. Uh, those singles in the room, I've got an idea, but I need to know if there's some interest. So I read this book some time ago. It says, how to avoid falling in love with a jerk. Uh, and this, I, I heard this guy speak at a conference when I was a chaplain. And uh, anyway, I've got a whole like instructional about this. And so if you've got a, a bad habit, young single person, or even an older single person of, of finding jerks, and you're like, I just can't seem to find good people. I understand there's a lot of uh, misfits out there that you keep finding yourself with. Well, I've got this book is wonderful for one, uh, but I would love to teach a course for singles if there's enough interest. So if, you've, if you're wanting something like that, put it on your, your card. Let me know afterwards. Uh, here in a few weeks, we're going to have the college kids in here, I hope. We're going to do a, an event up, up at Wesleyan called Rock the Mount in just a few weeks. And we're going to invite all those kids in here for all you can eat hot dogs and hamburgers. I figure kids like food, right? So maybe we can get them in here. Uh, but I'm going to be pitching the idea of what it might mean to have like a singles kind of course together. I think there might be some interest. But if you're interested in that, let me know. But here's what I'm saying. Everything we're going to talk about today, it's very specific for you if you're married today. It's very like uh, applicable in the moment. But if you're not in that stage of life yet, take some notes because it'd be good to know what you're getting into. Because <laughs> sometimes you might wind up with someone that was not a good fit. And it'd be better to know that prior to putting a ring on it, Right? Uh, you can avoid some really bad marriages by just never having some of them. <laughs> and unfortunately, a lot of times we're unequally yoked in more ways than just spiritually. And so let's dig in today. Here's some good news. I want to present a case, first of all, for some good news when it comes to the church and marriage. You may have heard this uh, growing up. You may have heard this at other churches that the divorce rate among the, the, the common outside of church people and those who are churchgoers is about the same. Who all's heard that statistic, that, that the, the divorce rate is the same in and out of the church? A lot of us have heard that. I heard that a lot growing up. 
Unfortunately, the, uh, the evidence for that is very poor. The, the, the research that they did on that was not good research. They were asking people, hey, are you, are you a churchgoer? And that person, they, they didn't quantify what that meant. So that person, if they went to church on Christmas every year, which is a lot of people, we call those people creasters. They come on Christmas and Easter. That's all they do. They're creasters. If that's you today, I, I love you. Please keep coming back. I mean, I, no offense to you, but just know this. If you only come twice a year, it's not having a huge effect, all right? It's not doing a lot of damage, right? It's, it's doing very little. And so the statistic wasn't, wasn't verifying how, how active really was this person. So here's an interesting thing from Shanti Feldhan, who, who wrote on this called The Good News About Marriage. She said, every study that has been, ever been done has found that the divorce rate among those who regularly attend church is much lower than among those who don't. The bottom line is that weekly church attendance lowers the divorce rate significantly, roughly 25 to 50%. What does that mean? That means fellowship of believers, the listening and applying of God's Word, works. It works. If, if this is something you're serious about, you're an active... And this is just one component. Attendance at church is, is very a small component of your walk with Christ. But it's a good sign that you're at least putting one day a week for Jesus, right? Hopefully it begins to grow from there. It's a mere seed at that point. And then Monday through Saturday there begins to be a walk with Jesus. When that happens in your life, it will save your marriage. How do I know this? Because God's Word has a wonderful plan for marriage. A wonderful plan. In fact, He is the creator and author of marriage. He knows how it should work. There's no other manual that's better than the very creator Himself. Now, there's some good books out there on the subject, and I would recommend many things, but if the Bible isn't a starting point for you, you've missed some of the greatest instruction there is. And we're going to be in the book of Ephesians today. Really, one of the most powerful scriptures on the family is right here in Ephesians 5 and 6. And what we're going to see is, is Paul really working this out. Now, I want to ask you a couple of things. If you're married today, how's your marriage doing? What's, what's the... What's the thermostat set on right now? Is it set on, hey, it's hot. Things are going well. It's steamy at the house. I'm like, praise God. Like, I, I better call before I come over, but I'm proud of you. You know, keep it up. Oh, it's, it's been cold around the place. Or it's so hot, it's volcanic. Something's going to explode around here, right? That's a different kind of, things are dangerous here. I, I wonder, just for a moment, check the relational temperature of your marriage. I've got 10 questions for you to think about, all right? And these aren't necessarily good, bad, it may, who knows what it could mean in your life. But number one is this, and I think this is a good question. How often do you laugh together? How often do you laugh together? Has your life lost humor? It's just not funny to live here anymore. I think I would die. I would straight up die. I need to laugh. I love to make people laugh. I love to laugh. And so my house is often feared, sometimes when it's filled with Anger and yelling, that's when it's not fun. But when it's filled with joy and laughter, it's great. When is, number two, when is the last time you had a meaningful conversation about something other than your schedules or your kids? Something other than schedules and kids. Number three, how often or do you still hold hands? Have you been married so long that you don't hold hands anymore? What happened? What happened to hand-holding? Is it just, it's old and passe? No, it is not. It's a magical moment. Of like electricity. Yesterday was my anniversary, y'all, and uh, 17 years. 
It's been great. Uh, there's been some ups and downs. Not every moment's been perfect. I'll admit that. But overall, I think things are getting better. I, I really do. I think every year that we stick it out and work things out, where things are improving. I think that's what happens in a Christ-like marriage, is that things improve. They're not perfect yet. They're not going to be probably till Christ returns. There'll always be little tiffs, but... I try to hold my wife's hand. She's a very fast walker, believe it or not, that tiny little person. (laughs) I don't understand what she's in a hurry to go find, maybe food or something. Y'all wouldn't believe how hungry she can be, but um, high metabolism, y'all. We still try to hold hands. It's difficult at times with that little speed demon. But number four, has your physical intimacy grown grown cold, infrequent, or a source of too much pressure and stress? Um, That one can typically be something you deal with, I think, in those first 10 to 20 years of your marriage. Number five, when's the last time you said, I'm sorry or I forgive you? Is there a habit of repentance in your house, really? Is there a habit of, I was wrong do you, and I forgive you? If there's no habit of that, boy, things can, things can get really dicey, and you know this. Number six, when's the last time you just simply said thank you for an ordinary task? Someone made you dinner, someone paid the, paid the bills, someone did the dishes, someone... When's the last time you just said thank you for those menial, ordinary kind of tasks? Boy, that goes a long way. It really can. Number seven, when's the last time you surprised each other with a gift, a note, a night out? I would admit surprising my wife is really hard to do right now. The reason is there's four people that can't come. And I got to figure out where they need to go. (laughs) And my wife's much better at figuring out where they need to go than me. So... It's a little difficult. The best I can do sometimes is just say, hey, we're going out. <laughs> Help me arrange childcare." But after that point, surprise, all right? Number eight, have you raised your voices at one another in the last month? Okay. Number nine, when's the last time, or, or when did you last say, I love you to each other? Hopefully you've got a very regular habit of that. Number 10, how many times in the last month have you prayed together or read the Bible together? That's a real gut checker. It can be. How'd you do? How'd you do when you think about your temperature, your relational temperature right now? Look, the truth is we all need a little help in our relationships. We all need a little help. And the best help we can find is right here in the book of the Word. And so let's go together. We're in Ephesians chapter 5. And I think we're going to see three. I mean, they're extremely clear instructions here in Ephesians 5, 22 through the end of the chapter. Here's what Paul writes to the church of Ephesus. He says, Wives, submit to your own husbands, to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Verse 34, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, 
and let the wife see that she respects her husband. God bless the reading of his word. Amen. This one's interesting. This was interesting. I've preached it many times at weddings and things like that. I've preached it a handful of times here at church. This is one of those texts that can be somewhat polarizing. I always feel like I get to come into this one like ready for a battle because on all sides of this are, are, are pitfalls and difficulties, right? Culturally, this is a super uphill battle. If I was preaching this very message a hundred years ago, it'd be like nothing but amens and no concern. Okay, but things have really changed in our society and it's caused us to look at this and go, do I want to have a biblical worldview or do I want to have some other kind of worldview? Am I going to be more informed by something else that I've experienced or what society says or am I going to say that the Word of God is, is true and that whether I understand it yet or not, it's for my good? Now, I think the Bible often does that. That you'll read something, I know this still happens to me, I'll read something and go, I don't understand why that is going to be good for me experientially. And then when I test it, I find out the Lord is good again. And again, and again. And I go, okay, well, I just need to listen up. I just need to do as I'm commanded. And I'll find out that the author and creator of life who has a system that he does, and a plan for me that when I follow that, it's my best. It's my best. It's joy, it's peace, it's all those things. And this believe it or not, is one of many places where God shares his design for marriage. Here is the first instruction he gives. He says, wives, willingly follow your husband. Wives, willingly follow your husband. Now, there's some interesting words here. I think to both parties, there are three key words. He gives three key words here in just a short few scriptures to the wives. He says three things, submit, head, and respect. Now the word submit, I've dealt with it before. This is a word that's extremely unpopular, right? This is a word that perhaps some of you ladies in the room go, I don't know how I feel about that word. It's a really cool word in the Greek. In the Greek, it's the word hupotasso. It literally means to arrange under, underneath or to, to come up under. And the idea of this word is it's in the imperative, which is command language. It's a command. Don't miss that. The word of God says, Submit to your own husband. But the idea of middle means it's something that you decide to do and that the Holy Spirit informs you to do, that the Spirit of God guides you to do. What does that mean? Why is that important? I'll tell you why that's important because your husband in this moment may not be worthy. <laughs> Some of you are like, well, yeah, <laughs> duh. He's... And Compared to Christ, he's never going to be worthy. And yet the Spirit of God in you is informing you to willingly follow him. To come up under. That means willingly. This is almost a military term. In fact, some of the definitions define it that way. That is, you come up under your commander not because necessarily because of his rank, but because you believe in the system. That's the point of this text here, is that you believe what God says is true. So it's your permission, you're, you're merely granting permission for him to be the head. Now we're going to define what that means. Now, I recognize something, there's a sin problem here. There is for the husbands too. Don't worry wives, I'm not going to pile on you very long. In fact, Paul doesn't. There's only a few verses here. Now I got to admit, they're the sharpest ones in the text. For some reason, we hear, oh, husbands lay down your lives and die for them like Christ. And we go, oh, that's fine. 
But we hear the word submit and we go, oh my God. It's, it's insane if you really break that down. The call to men is so hard. I know very well why that's a middle imperative because I don't always like my wife. I do love her, but sometimes she gets on my nerves. And I get on her nerves way more, I guarantee you. I get on my own nerves. Y'all ever get on your own nerves sometimes? I can't stand myself sometimes. But I know if I'm to love her like Christ loves the church, I can't do it. I can't do it without the power of God. And I recognize something, women. I understand something. that it's, This is a similar command to you. You can't submit. You can't willingly follow without the power of God. Because He's not going to do everything right. And I'm going to define what I think the Bible means about submission here. But here's the sin problem. And it goes back to the Garden of Eden. Look, we've been struggling with this for a very long time. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. This is the curse to man and woman. God's, God says to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. I'm so sorry, women. Apparently it wasn't so bad before. I've seen it a few times. It looks hard. It looks difficult. I'll never know. But it looks tough. In pain you shall bring forth children. Now this is twofold. Those young moms in the room, look, I know it hurt a little bit to give birth, but what he's really talking about it is child rearing. It's going to be hard work to be a mom. Is it not? Mothering is hard. You would, I bet you would take giving birth again to, to count out some of these months and years of difficult child rearing. A day's work, I'll take that. Some of you extended that to like two days. Some of y'all are like labor, like amazing. I don't know what y'all are doing, but... Genesis 3.16, this is part of the curse. And then the last part is interesting. It says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband. Some versions say, your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now this is a weird curse. And really to understand this curse, I think in some ways we really need to read a larger portion of Scripture. I love what Pastor John Piper has to say about this. I'd never seen it quite like this before, but I thought today, or, or this week, I thought, you know, I need to read around this text because it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Did you know in Genesis 4, we get the story of Cain and Abel. We get the story where Cain, the, the thing he does wrong is he doesn't give God his best. And God has a simple rebuke for him and an opportunity for grace, and yet Cain doesn't take it. Cain kills his brother instead. Instead of bringing God his best offering, he kills the one who did. There's jealousy, enmity, all of that is on display right there in the first human family. So look, we've been struggling with this kind of garbage for a long time. Sin is terrifying and terrible. But what does God say to him there in Genesis 4-7? He says something like this, that sin is crouching at your door and desires to have you. Did you know the Hebrew language there is almost identical to the curse he gives woman? That your desire is for him and he will rule over you. That means the idea here is that your desire will be to subdue, overpower to rule him, and his sin nature will cause him to rule over you. That's essentially, I believe, what Genesis is speaking of. That, and, and I like what Piper writes. Here's how he puts it. He says, when it says your desire shall be for your husband, it means that when sin has the upper hand in a woman, she will desire to subdue and even exploit man. But when sin has the upper hand in man, he will respond in like manner with his strength and subdue and ruled over her. Listen to me when I say this. Sin in us causes us to exploit one another. 
and try to take the mantle of authority that technically neither one of us have. Because even though the Bible says submit to your own husband and, and he is the head, what we really should understand is that who is the head of man? It is Christ Jesus. So in your submission, you're submitting to Christ Jesus. Not He is the, he is the, the one in between, but in the hierarchy of what God's doing, you're really submitting to the Lord. And that's the problem. That's the sin problem that both parties really have. Specifically the wife. For whatever reason, this has been what I've observed more than anything is that whether, and I think it probably comes because of passive men or men that really don't follow Christ. And so it causes ladies to really work harder and, and supersede their husbands. And, and they have perhaps really good reasons for that. But in, at the end of the day, here's what I've observed. If you've got a habit of that in your marriage, he will have a hard time ever leading like Christ. He'll have a hard time ever being the head because he can't. You've done it. You're in his role. And even if he's been a real absolute failure for some time, if the Lord begins to work on him and get a hold of him, just understand that you could be possibly holding him back from doing the thing God's called him to, to be the spiritual leader of your home and to follow Christ. Now, why? Why, why this word? And, and that's a good question. Why submit? Why, why does God do it this way? Now, I don't know the exact answer for this. We're going to have to ask the Lord when we get there. Why did you make male and female? Why did you make us have these very unique roles? And get, get me when I say society doesn't understand this at all anymore. We don't really know how to define a man or a woman anymore. We don't know what any of this is. But the Bible has these really specific roles and that these people are unique. And honestly, to me, I don't think it's rocket science. I can go and I can watch my kids play. I can watch my son play and my daughters play. And my son, he'll start bashing trucks together. Not anymore. Now, now he's older. But when he was young, he'd bashing trucks together and, and, and wanting to come. And when he'd come say hi to me, instead of a hug, he'd rather punch me. That's love, right? Like we just love you too. And that's how we do things. And we don't talk too much, although my son has gotten a little yappy lately. But anyway, the girls though, from the very moment of of them like being able to move and talk. They just talk and they just talk. And when they play in mommy and daddy and we're playing house and we're playing school and I walk by there and I go, wow, there's a lot of estrogen in that room and I'm going to go away. That's, it doesn't take some kind of, I don't need a PhD to understand that they come out different. And God saw that. He made us that way. I don't know exactly why he did that part. The Bible says it's a mystery and that somehow it shows off the Trinity. That somehow it shows off Christ and His church. That these roles are, are signifying of how we worship as believers. It's really cool. And more than that, and I hope, I hope this is true for some of you ladies in the room. There's one verse that says, why submit is because it's fitting to the Lord. Colossians 3, it says, wives submit to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. I pray for some of you in the room, it's enough simply that God's Word says so. But if it's not, here's a couple of others to think about. In the book of Titus, it says, train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the Word of God may not be reviled. That something happens when we do the opposite of these things and the Word of God gets diminished. Also, and I recognize this is some of you in the room, 
It's the most powerful way to influence an unbelieving man. Some of you have married and you're unequally yoked. And this is where you are now. Paul's really clear about that. It's not the scope of what I'm preaching today. But he says if he'll keep you, then stay with him. And try to honor the Lord and try to lead him to faith. There's, there's a passage of Scripture that speaks on this, that you shouldn't divorce him, but stay with him, and that the Lord, pray the Lord may get a hold of his life. But Peter talks about this. This is so amazing. He says in 1 Peter 3, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. Recognize... Women, recognize the power you have here. And you're following Christ Jesus. You are influential. It's amazing what you can overcome in this. Now here's the other two words he gives. He gives the word head. The word head throughout the text is this word kephale, which means, it can mean ruler or lord, but it has, it's more organic than that. It's, it's meant to mean like the head of a body. And we don't look at the human body and go, well, you know, this is the most important part. Well, you know, honestly, without the beaten heart, this part is useless, right? Without limbs, all of a sudden we start becoming, we can't do a lot of physical things, right? We can still think, we can still talk, but all of these pieces are really important. That's why God gave them to us. And here he's talking about the headship of man is more about the idea of support as in the organic nature of, of the human family. And if that's not enough, he goes on to talk about how this is how it works even within the Trinitarian God. So 1 Corinthians 11, it says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. So, and, and he doesn't mention the Spirit there, but when you often hear the Spirit, it's the sense that the Father sends the Son to die for us, and then He's exalted above any, any other. And then the Christ sends the Spirit. So the Spirit seems to be guided by the Son. So there's this hierarchy. Why is it that way? Well, only God knows. But it's beautiful. And why has He told us this as humans? I don't know exactly, but it's beautiful. And it will be in your life if you'll believe it. It takes diligence and it takes belief that how often has the Word of God been true in my life? Why wouldn't it be true again? Why wouldn't it be true on this one? It goes on in verse 33, and this is at the very end of our text today. It says respect. It says to the man love. It says to the woman respect. This is the idea of reverence here. It's preceded by this, this term, this transition, if the, the clause here, it literally could mean so that the wife might respect her husband. It's in this subjunctive kind of language. So this idea here is submission, is permission to let him lead. It's not that he's earned it or that he's great or understand your husband might be, he might be awesome or he might be really hard to follow. But the submission is the idea of I give you permission to lead whether you're worthy or not because I believe in Christ, he's going to be working on you, right? So I give you permission. And then respect is your response to his loving leadership. So this is the idea of this, okay? So let me pop up an image. A lot of you at our church, if you've been here for a few seasons, have seen this. I talk about this sometimes at my own house. It's called the crazy cycle. And some of you have come to church this morning in the crazy cycle. God bless you. I'm glad you showed up today. There's a reason that you won't look at him and you won't look at her right now because you're like... Mm. I can't believe we're talking about marriage on a Sunday where I yelled at him on the way here. 
Some of us are in the crazy cycle and it's really hard. And the reason it's really hard is because we're not great at giving the other what they want. And the reason we're not great at it is because it's not what we want. Marriage, I've said it before, is like the first big trip to get over our selfishness, right? And what men typically want is honor and respect. And they want to know that they're leading well. They, they want to know that they're valuable. In fact, I, I didn't put this in my notes, but I read this article this week that said, if given the choice uh, between a man living l- alone and without anybody or being able to stay in his current course but being treated as unvaluable and and disrespected. Almost like 90% of men chose, I'd rather be alone. I'd rather be alone and not with people than have to live with people who don't value me. Now, maybe that's true for a lot of women too, but it's especially true for men. We the idea of being useless kills us. It kills us. We were made for work. We were made for that. We get our value in what we do. And so it comes in this idea of respect. Now for women, it's, it's unlike men in that what, what they truly desire is this idea of love. And, and Paul's going to really break this down, what he, what he believes godly love looks like in this. But here's what we do. We just keep reacting and reacting and reacting. And so I show you a lack of love by saying things to you that aren't nice, by doing things that aren't very kind. And you show me the lack of respect by, you know, going off and doing your own thing or telling me what a deadbeat I am. Or, and then this thing just starts going and it spirals out of control. Some of you have lost relationships because of this. And there's only one way to break it. Somebody has to stop. Somebody has to stop. (laughs) Who's going to be the bigger party? Here's the bad news. That other person in your relationship, you can't control them. There's absolutely nothing you can do to make them do good, bad, ugly. They're responsible for a holy God for themselves. You, however, if you've made the decision, well, I'm not going to be the one to break this cycle. That's not Christ. It's simply not. It's disobedience to the Word of God. I'm sorry. Maybe He hurt you worse. I've said this before. I said it last week. There's no doubt in my mind we hurt God and He didn't hurt us. There's no doubt in my mind we were the wrong party and He only was good to us. We exist because God is fun and loving and good. Otherwise, we don't exist. So for us to think, oh, well, I was, I was hurt more in the relationship. I've got to start thinking like Jesus who, who paid the ultimate price having done no wrong. No wrong. Now, here's a couple of things, ladies, and then I'm going to dig in on men for a minute. It's easier for me to preach to husbands. I am one. I always am like, God, give me grace as I dig into this one once more. It's very important. Here's a couple of things about submission that we should understand. Here's what it does not mean. It does not have anything to do with you being a doormat. It doesn't have anything to do with you being some sort of slave. The Bible's clear on this. It doesn't have to do with you losing your identity. It's not blind obedience. You're not to be used You're not to allow your husband to violate the law or to abuse you. None of those things are in the Word of God. And that's not the idea of godly submission, even slightly. And so when people tell me that that's what the Bible teaches, I tell them, you better read more because you're off. You're way off. 
In fact, I'd make the argument that what Paul does in his day is absolutely one of the most liberating things for women in all of history. It really is. You should understand what culture was like prior to the Gospels. Men were allowed in these systems, especially the Roman system, if they didn't like their children, they could have them killed. If they didn't like their wife, they could have her put away. And then you know what would happen to her? She would die of starvation. Because it was improper to marry a woman who'd been divorced. It was, it was taboo. And he had every right to just say, I'm sick of her, bye. And the idea of her making an income in this society was very difficult. So it would often mean her death. You understand what Paul has done here? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, what, what Christ does in this crazy gospel where he comes and some of his the closest servants are people like Mary and Martha. Do you understand that that's so uncommon for there to be women of high priority in, the, in any kind of holy book? Any kind of book of its day, you, you hear stories about men and warriors and all these things, and all of a sudden, you've got the Gospels and you've got these prominent women. Why? Because Christ sees us rightly. And we look at it and we go, oh, it's old, it's traditional. No, he, he, he liberated. He liberated the, the, the family, the marriage. He made it, he put it right. That women have value and their value is outstanding. What wonder is this? Like, there's no room here for men to be putting out their wives. Understand what I'm about to dig into, y'all. The husband's call, it's a game changer. And the wife's call, can save her marriage. Submission does mean this, ladies. Submitting or responding to your husband with a view of Christ's lordship. Understand who's in charge of him. Encouraging your husband to lead. Encourage him to lead. Allow your husband to lead. Honor God's word. All right, men. <laughs> husband or not in the room. Men in the room, here's something you need to understand. If you're longing to be married one day, you're longing to have relationships. I got some single guys in the room. Understand what it means. What it really looks like. It means sacrifice. Sacrificially loving your wife. And guess what, friends? You're really good at this. You just don't know it yet. You're really good at it though. Because you know, you know what's really honorable? You know what you want so much respect and honor and value? There's nothing more honorable than sacrifice. There's not. There, there's no greater love than this than that a man lay his life down for his friends. That's what Jesus said. Sacrifice is beyond honor. When we talk about great war stories, we talk about anything of, of, of greatness. When we, we hand out medals of honor in our military, it is always because of sacrifice. Always. So men, do you want to know how to gain the greatest honor? And it's what you really want. Sacrificial love. This is why we love Jesus so much. Because he did so much that we didn't deserve it and yet he did it anyway. His sacrifice is why we respect and honor him and love him. It's amazing. And husbands are called likewise. To what word? Three big words, but the main one is love. Love really drives it. This is, of course, the word agape. Here in the imperative, unconditional love. Grace-filled, unconditional mercy kind of love. In what way? Just as Christ loved the church. Now, ladies, listen for just a minute and tell me. Tell me that we've got the weaker call here somehow. You're telling me that I've got to love as Christ loved the church, as his own body, laying his life down. This is difficult language. 
And men, you can't do it. You can't. Young men, you're not married yet. Understand, you don't have the power to do this. Jesus does though. So when I'm preaching to you today, when we're going through the word of God today, if you're feeling discouraged, if you're feeling bitter, if you're feeling like there's no way, it's probably because you think you're going to get there in self-reliance. And it's, there's, that's not the way. <laughs> the way is instead on my knees every day in prayer, letting God know all my shortcomings. He already knows them, but revealing them to him and saying, hey, help me work through this. I have a tendency to be angry, God. I have a tendency, Lord, to want my own way. We all do. On my knees in prayer, in his word and scripture, and saying, God, fill me. Christ, fill me with this kind of love that I don't have naturally. He says, as Christ loves the church. Now, here's a couple of things that we should understand about who Christ was. If I could just break it down really simply, he was two types of leader. He was both a sacrificial leader. Verse 25 says he gave himself up. He was also a spiritual leader. Verse 26 says he sanctifies her with the word. So if you want to break this down simply, men, what it looks like to be this type of sacrificially loving leader in your, in your household. It means you do it by giving yourself up. And, and that, What does that mean? <laughs> well, I think that means instead of ruling and domineering and subduing that you're constantly working to find what she likes and what she desires. And you're constantly trying to put room in your leadership for her, as much of her input as you can possibly have. And yet, I've recognized something. We're different. We have different skills in this relationship. You know, my wife is not really very good at math. And when we first started, uh, she's she's good at a lot of things. So don't. I'm not trying to tear her. She's not very good at math. She'd admit to that. I think I'm very good at math. And so early in the relationship, she was handling our finances because I was honestly being a lazy bum. <laughs> I mean, just to put it lightly, I just wasn't being diligent with it. And so she would take care of it because it scared her to death that she'd look in the bank account and there'd be like 22 cents. I'd look at that and go, we're, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do today. Let's see what's in the fridge. I mean, it just didn't stress me out. Stuff doesn't stress me out like it should. Sometimes I should get ramped up and I just don't. I don't know what's wrong with me, but anyway, it would stress her out. And so she started taking care of it. But I recognized something that in order to really be a leader... I needed all of her input. I needed to know where she was stressed, where she was struggling. And that particular role of handling the books, it could be the wife doing that. It could be the husband. It's really who's stronger at it. But that input, this is why when we do financial peace here, there should be an opportunity. He calls it, Dave Ramsey calls it your monthly meeting, your monthly breakdown. You get together once a month. You look at the budget together. There's always one party that really doesn't want to come to the meeting. Because they just want to spend money. That's the free spirit. They're like, well, money happens, right? And uh, that's always one party. And, and so you have that meeting to get input and say, well, okay. And, and the way he puts it is like the nerd in that relationship. It could be the husband or the wife. They're always the one that want everything to add up, every zero found. The other party is there to make sure you have fun. Because the nerd normally is, they think it's fun to not lose money, right? And the, the free spirit typically likes to find things to do and get out. So they're there to help you have fun and you're there to make sure they don't spend all the money. And so it's great. Leadership is that way. You give up. You, you allow as much input. You're constantly... This is the idea of, of being a servant leader and then a spiritual leader. Boy, this one's, I would argue, even more important. I wonder, ladies in the room, 
if your husband is clearly in his word, daily in prayer, praying with you, if his guidance to you when you ask him for advice or anything like that is from the word of God, is he easier to follow? No? No. I think a man is absolutely easier to follow when he's in his word, speaks truth, is honest with you, clearly loves the Lord Jesus. You know, men follow men like that. I follow men like that. I'm not going to follow some guy that's not in his word. I'll follow a man who clearly loves the Lord. and So I get it. I get what it's saying here. And that he nourishes her and cherishes her. Sacrificial love means these things, husbands. It means not being harsh. Colossians 3 says, Husbands, love your wives and, wives and do not be harsh with them. We can be loud, right? We have deep baritones. Some of us are big boys. There's some big boys in this room. Don't be harsh with her. Sacrificial love is understanding and honoring. First Peter puts it this way, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now understand what the meaning of that is. Because some of you are like weaker. Hmm, I don't know how I feel about that. I'm smarter than him. I'm whatever. You know what? I'm not sure that thinking is even correct, okay? For us to be sitting there going, but I'm smarter than him. I'm smarter than her. No, I... What, what place does that have in your relationship? How does that fix things? And that's not even what it means here. The idea of weaker vessel, if you break it down, has more the idea of like fine china. And that is, it's not that they value less. In fact, they value a whole lot more. They're just easy to break. You break like some of your old grandma's china or something, somebody's going to get a beating, right? That's some important stuff. She's, the Bible is saying, look, man, she's not Tupperware. She's the China. Treat her gently. Be careful with her because she has value. That's what he's saying. He's not saying, oh, well, she's weaker. That's not the idea of the context here. Instead, look where he goes. He says, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that what? Your prayers might not be hindered. You start treating her and throwing her around like Tupperware, your prayer life will be hindered, the Bible says. Treat her value with great value. Because God gave her to you. What a wonderful thing. You should look in the mirror sometime and really think to yourself, how in the world did I ever land a woman? How? You really should think that sometimes and remember that. I don't know why any woman winds up with a man. We are just something else. And yet, God has given us this. We treat them as fine china, as value. All right, let me finish up here. The sin problem of man. I've got to dig in, y'all. Woo! I got excited at one point here. I don't know when, but the sin problem of man is similar. He, he desires to, to rule over, but here's, here's what the curse is to Adam. In chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 17, it says, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I've commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Men, guess what? The thing you really love, work, the value you get, it's going to be hard. It's going to be really hard. You go out, you plant, you throw seed, guess what grows all around it? Weeds. Thank you. Adam for that. But here's what he did wrong. He heeded. This might be cheesy, but it's easy to remember. He decided to be a heater and not a leader. That was the problem of Adam. Rather than say to his wife in that moment, the devil is lying to you in this moment. The passivity of the scripture here is that Adam says nothing. 
and just eats the apple. He's just as sinful as she is. Anybody who argues otherwise is foolish with the text. The problem of Adam here is he should have been like, no, we, we have been commanded not to do this, but he didn't lead. He was seduced by both parties. Men are called to lead. We are called, we are called to work. We are called to obedience in the faith. Let me bring up these two images once more. You saw the crazy cycle. This is often where we find ourselves. But what about this one? Call this the energizing cycle. Guess what happens in reverse? This is the great news. The crazy cycle begins to spiral down and eventually to a point of breaking. But the energizing cycle spirals up to a point where other people look at you and go, you guys are a little too lovey. You're just too much. I pray to God I get there. I pray to God that I get to a point where, in fact, people would say, I can't, I can't really tell you guys apart. You have so become one flesh. You are one in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful thing, the energizing cycle. And all it takes is one party to say, I choose to love you. Even though this past week we have fought, even though this past week you said some things to me, and honestly, my response was worse. You know what, men... Know what's such an easy thing to do? If she's at this volume, go to this volume. She's yelling. She's angry. I don't know what you did to get her there, but she's there. Instead, come with this stone. Okay, but here's why I did what I did, because you said this to me, and it hurt my feelings. All of a sudden... People have a natural tendency to where they don't understand how to shift volume up when someone's being quiet. We simply can't do it. It's just a communication pattern. You can do this in any relationship. Lower the volume. All of a sudden, the opposing party will lower the volume. It's called de-escalation. Some of us have had a lot of training in this kind of stuff. How to de-escalate a conflict. You're not doing this in your house. And some of you know how. Instead, you go, well, if you're at DEFCON 4, I'm at DEFCON 5. See if you can get there. See if you can cover that distance. Now, one party has to say, you know what? I choose to bring down the volume. I choose to start forgiving, repenting. I choose to love. It's not because he deserves it or she deserves it. If you can understand anything this morning, it's because you are loved by Christ and have been forgiven much. That's what we talked about last week. And if you've been forgiven much, you can forgive much. The energizing cycle. And all it takes is one party to say, you know what, I'm going to throw love back in the spin. It'll start to reverse the spin. And it just takes one word, one kind gesture. Now, if you're way down in the pit, you've been on this crazy cycle for a long time, just understand it's going to take a whole lot of spinning. That momentum is bad. You're bad on the flywheel right now. It's gone. It's just going. You're going to have to catch it. You're going to break some fingers. It's going to hurt. I'm sorry. I didn't do this to you. You did it to yourself. But you can stop it. Catch the wheel and begin to 
versus spin. Last thing, and i got to go quickly through this. This is what Paul ends with. Verses 31 and 32, he says that married people display the mystery of oneness in Christ. This is why we do it the way God has commanded us to do it. Because it is the greatest projection of the mystery of Christ and His church to a fallen world. Do you know what one of your greatest witnessing tools is in all of your life? It is a, a faithful, loving marriage. It's one of your greatest tools. Why? Because people are horrible at it. Our society is terrible at marriage. Most Half of them fail. Which means one out of two people are suffering from this somehow. And so when you do what Christ has called you to, you have a unified oneness. This mystery as he puts in verse 32 and 31 here, he says, this one flesh, it's, it's, it's unity, it's all of these things. And, and this is one of the greatest shows of what God is doing. In fact, in the book of Malachi, he, he argues that it's this core to three strands kind of idea here. Look at Malachi 2, it says, The Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did He not make them one? And this is crazy. With a portion of the Spirit in their union. This is amazing. That Who's the third strand? The Holy Spirit of God. And what was the, God, what was the one God seeking? He was seeking godly offspring. Now that's a whole other conversation for another day. But the book is pretty clear about the, great, the first great commission. And that is God instituted marriage for us to raise up godly offspring. That's, that's part of his plan. So guard yourselves, he writes, in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Why? Because when you married her, understand that God was involved. The Holy Spirit was a portion of your union. And when you break it off with her, you've broken his heart. You've broken... The, this is one of those things I think we do to grieve the Holy Spirit as the book puts. And... It models Christ in His church. I want to end with this verse. It's a beautiful text. Revelation 19. Here is a display of the wedding feast of the Lamb. Verse 7, it says, Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to Him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and His bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. This is a picture of Christ and His church. And before this day, we're the most mysterious and closest model as married husbands and wives of what is to come. This beautiful church meeting the Lamb at the wedding feast. Do you understand the impact you're having? Maybe you don't think about this. The impact not only you're having on your family, but those around you. That Christ in you and Him bringing you one and making you one together and that love and the, and the respect and the glory of that is an outstanding lighthouse impact on your neighborhood, on your community, on your friends and family. I wonder, church, will you follow God's design? Will you be obedient to Scripture? I would say this. If you're not sure, you're not sure, it doesn't seem... <laughs> I get it. I get what it's saying. I, just try. 
Try to be obedient to God's word and see. Because you know what I've found? Even in those passages of scripture where I struggle to understand it, when I'm obedient to it, God shows up. And my life finds meaning and purpose and joy. And I want that for you. So I wonder, would you honor God's design for your marriage? Let's pray together, church. Heavenly Father, we, we have to admit that this, there, there are aspects of this text that are difficult for us. First of all, Lord, some of us in the room are single. We're not yet in this type of relationship. And so on some parts, Lord, we don't fully understand what, what the, the, the problems are even in this. Like what, is, what makes submission difficult? What makes loving sacrificially difficult? We've not experienced that for ourselves. So Lord, I'm praying, I'm praying that you would do something in, in those lives. I, I pray that, would you begin to pr- bring people uh, into the lives of our young people here that you really intend for them? If your desire for these young people is marriage, that you would open up their eyes to godly men and godly women in this city, in this community. Maybe they're not here yet. Lord, I pray, I pray patience over these people. That one way to save a holy marriage is to wait on it. <laughs> one way to save a good marriage is to not marry someone you shouldn't. And so God, I pray for these young singles in the room or even those in the room who have had a heartbreak in the past. Maybe a failed marriage. Maybe they're not sure what's next. Lord, I, I pray for them. God, that you would reveal to them what you desire that you would begin to work on them even now, preparing them to be the wife or the husband that they should be. That one of the best things we can do right now, Lord, is begin to be the person we desire to be with. And we often fail at that. We think something's great about us. And Lord, I pray that you would begin to work even in our lives. And I pray, I pray now for those married couples in the room. There might be a handful of them right now that are really on the rocks. There might be some people listening right now that it's not looking good. They've had a lot of trouble in their marriage. Maybe they fight a lot. Maybe there's been some things that broke the trust. Maybe something has caused them to not trust each other. Maybe something has created a a, a, a brick wall between the two of them, Lord. I, I pray you would tear that down. I pray that those people in the room that are deep in that crazy cycle, Lord, that you would cause that husband today. If that's you today, you're here, you're listening, you feel the Spirit of God in this place telling you, stop the crazy cycle. Just put your hand on that wheel. So you know what? I choose to love her anyway. God, I pray you would do that. Motivate these young men and these husbands in this room and those wives in hearing, Lord. If they're deep in that crazy cycle, that she would put her hand on that wheel and say, I'm going to stop disrespecting and dishonoring him, even though he may seem like he deserves it. I'm going to choose Christ instead. God, would you do that in our families, Lord? I pray you break these, these, these barriers down. I pray that this church would be filled with families that model the mystery of the Holy Spirit of God so well. I pray that people would come into this church, visitors would come and see, and they would go, wow, not only do y'all seem to love each other, but man... Look at the parents with their kids. Look at the husbands and the wives together. I want that. 
Not a lot of people know what that looks like anymore, but there's a part of them that knows they want it. God, I pray you would do that in our our church, that we would in fact be the church filled with families who love God first and love one another, and that it would be a great, grand model to this city and this community. Would you do that in us? Give us the power to do these words today, these things you've commanded. We recognize we lack the ability in and of ourselves. But God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you are more than enough. You are more than enough. So help us to lean into you. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.